Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. Such a joy to uh, see you all this morning, to be with you on this Spring Forward Sunday. Um, we sang three songs this morning, and I know that some of you have been around for a little while. If you're not a guest with us, that probably kind of messed you up a little bit. It was a little bit out of our rhythm. Um, we want to just keep you on your toes, uh, especially on a morning where we didn't get enough sleep. Um, and uh, so we kind of switched things up. But there's a purpose to that at the end of our time together this morning. You'll see uh, a little bit uh, as to why uh, we uh, did that. Um, as I thought about springing forward, I did have this one thought that I just might want to share with you all. And if you could just join me in this cause. I'm not really sure why we have to spring forward in the middle of the night on a weekend. Um, I just prefer, could we just do that like a two o'clock on a Tuesday, and we'll just sort of skip that hour and go forward. Um, I ran into that frustration this morning of sort of being a little bit tired, I think, and maybe some exhaustion setting in as I got out of my vehicle really early in the dark this morning here at church, um, coming to get ready. Uh, I dumped my entire cup of coffee in the floorboard of my vehicle. Um, and you can imagine my frustration at that early hour. Um, I also have on some of my favorite shoes, and I was a little worried, I'll just be honest, not just being real here with you, that I was like, did I get coffee on some of my shoes? But thankfully, the shoes were protected. Y'all can all look at those later. Stay right up here. And, uh, but I was just, I, I was like, I, 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 my coffee, and I'm exhausted, and I'm tired, and frustrated. Um, and now my vehicle has coffee all over the floorboard. Um, I'm confident that that coffee, by the way, won't be spilled in the new heavens and earth. And so I'm looking forward to that. But you know, frustration and that angst, and honestly, I realize that is a, such a small thing. By comparison to perhaps some of the things that you are dealing with in your life this morning, some of the frustrations, maybe some of the angst, some of the struggles, pain, grieving, I don't know, I can't know all that is weighing on your heart. But the reality is, my guess is, is that that little frustration, again, is just symbolic of sometimes a larger frustration that I can find in life where you just wonder, God, what are you doing? Where, wh why do I have to deal with this? Why is coffee spilling a thing? Why can't it not be a thing any longer, more quickly? And that frustration can grow and we can forget and we can be distracted and we can sort of lose sight of all that God is doing and the frustration and the angst and the, the hurts that we are dealing with in life can sometimes sort of cause our focus, can, can, can essentially take all of our focus. We can rob us of seeing all that God is doing. Last weekend, uh, Caleb brought a great message from the end of the Gospel of Luke where the disciples meet the risen Jesus. He has died, risen again, and they're walking with him on the road to Emmaus. They don't really know that they're with him at the time. Um, and they're wondering, and you hear as you, if you want to go back, by the way, and listen to that message wherever our podcasts are found, you can do that. Um, the disciples are frustrated. They're wondering, why, we thought everything was going to be fixed. We thought you were, that Jesus was the Messiah. We thought he had come to establish the kingdom. And then he went to a cross. What is happening well, thankfully, Jesus did reveal himself to them, and he revealed that he was alive. And as we think about what Jesus is doing, we think about some of those frustrations and the pains that we endure in this life, it's helpful to remember Jesus' work has not yet finished. And this is the book of Acts. 
This is why I'm excited about this series, for us to spend some time in this book. If you're a guest with us, it is sort of a really bit of a running joke at how long I can spend in one book of the Bible as we work our way through. And I'm just going to tell you, just brace yourselves. We're going to be in Acts for a while. I may, we may take a break here or there, just sort of pause for a moment. But I am so excited about this. And the, the value of this book, I believe to us, is to be reminded of what God is doing and that he is still at work, that he's moving. And the same Holy Spirit that would come and fill the disciples and prompt them to build the church that is, we are now an overflow or an extension or a recipient of all of that work from 2,000 years ago, the same Holy Spirit as at work in us today. When we celebrate what God is doing, we are celebrating the power of the Holy Spirit to work through people who are just simply being obedient to the commands that God has given us, to live as God has called us to do. And so we can get excited, we can know, and we can have hope that yes, coffee does get spilled in the floorboard of vehicles still. But there's coming a day when, as we will hear this morning, Christ will return. And in between that already, the consummate or the initiation of the kingdom, there will be a consummation of the kingdom where it will be final and, we, and he will return and he'll finish what he started. And we're a part of that work. We're getting to see as we look back at the history, this is our history, the book of Acts is our history. I hope that it will teach us and encourage us and strengthen us for the work that lies ahead. So with that in mind, would you stand out of reverence for God's word as I read from Acts chapter one, verses one through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying, staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, he will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your church. Yes, the church that we so graciously get to be a part of and call family, but also for your church, universal church that you have been building since these days that we are reading of this morning. We thank you that we can have confidence that you will, you are and you will continue to do the work of building your kingdom. We thank you for the invitation to be a part of that work. We pray as we study your word, we would be strengthened, we would be encouraged, we would be reminded of what you are doing, even in the midst of what I know can be hard days. Help us to be lifted up as we look at your work. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. 
So just a quick breakdown of what I read from Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. The first three verses, in a sense, a recount of the end of Luke. And Luke begins this, he says, in the first book, O Theophilus. That first book that Luke references there is his gospel. And so he says that he wrote his gospel to Theophilus, and he, and he wanted uh, Theophilus and all that would read that gospel to know of Jesus' life. He says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And as he continues, he then says, I I wrote that and that covered basically all the way until his ascension. And so the first three verses of Acts are a recount or sort of a recap of his work or what he wrote in his first book, the Gospel of Luke. He then continues in verses four through eight is Jesus's instructions or his commands. It's him speaking to the disciples before he ascends to the Father. The thing that Luke wants us to know as he begins this book is that the story is all about Jesus. He explains, as he says there in that first verse, the context of his gospel, the gospel of Luke. He explains that he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. He says, I told you of Jesus' life. In verses 1 through 4 of, of, of Luke's gospel, He says that he has taken up to compile a narrative so that you may have confidence and certainty about what you've been taught. That's why Luke says he wrote his gospel there at the end of uh, Luke chapter 1 verse 4. If we come to the very close, what Caleb covered last week. So, well, by the way, it's Caleb's birthday tomorrow. So be sure and find him and greet him in some way. Bring him some gifts tomorrow that we can all share in. But, and so he preaches Luke, uh, at the end of Luke 24, excuse me, from, from Caleb's preaching last week, is the, uh, the end of the story where Jesus is uh, walking with his disciples and Luke covers that time of ascension where he would go to the Father. But the story that Luke wants us to remember and Theophilus to remember here in the book of Acts is that the story is all about Jesus. And I want you to pay close attention to one word there in the first verse. I have dealt with all that Jesus, it says in his gospel, began to do and teach. Notice that Luke does not say here in the book of Acts, I covered in my gospel all that Jesus did, finished, all that he completed, There's not a period there. It says, he uses the word, and it's important that we pay close attention to the words of Scripture, that he began to do. Because what he began in the Gospel of Luke, what he's going to then continue to tell the story of through the book of Acts, and he is continuing to do today. This gives us a picture that the work of Jesus is continuing. He is continuing to write his story. And the amazing thing is, as we will see, is that we are a part of that story. We get to be a part of Jesus' story but it's all about him. He then says, I wrote all these things to tell you about what Jesus began to do and teach. And I wrote these until the day he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. One of the doubts that could creep in if we only read a portion of our scripture, if we sort of lost the back half of those last few chapters of Luke's gospel in verses 23 or chapters 24, we would forget that Jesus is surely alive. Luke reminds Theophilus here and reminds us all that Jesus appeared not just to the disciples, but he appeared many times and through many proofs, he assured everyone who saw him that Jesus was alive. Even in that day, there were people who would deny the resurrection of Jesus. There were people that would deny that Christ had risen from the dead. And his victory over sin and death is 
central to our faith. And so because of that, Jesus presented himself and demonstrated by many proofs that he was surely alive. And again, his work that he had begun would continue. He didn't say that it was finished, but there was much work to be done. Jesus is alive even today, as we will celebrate here in just a few weeks, Jesus' victory over death when we come together to celebrate Easter Sunday. We were reminded that Jesus is alive. And this book recounts for us that Jesus, fully alive, although not present with his disciples, was working and moving in a powerful way. And so, as we come to verse 4, with that sort of understanding that Luke has written this to remind us of Jesus' work, that he's continuing to do this work, that he is alive and well and moving in power, we see the instructions that Jesus gives to the apostles. And these are, again, the twelve those that had been with Jesus for many years, following him and watching his ministry. And while staying with them, this is Jesus he's speaking of, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he tells them to wait, and as they come together, they then ask a question. Look at verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him. This is the disciples' response back to Jesus. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They want to know about the kingdom. Look back with me at what Luke says that Jesus taught them in verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what? The kingdom of God. In order for us to understand what is happening here and what Jesus is doing as he's continuing to do this work, we must remember our citizenship. We need to remember what Jesus was doing when it came time, when he speaks to them through the kingdom of God and the importance of the kingdom of God. I recognize that that's a term and a phrase, although we might hear it often, it could somewhat be confusing. What is the kingdom of God? You heard me just pray just a few moments ago that you would build your kingdom here and that we have been invited to be a part of that kingdom building where what is this kingdom of God? Well, we have to go back throughout all of scripture to see this. And when Jesus encountered the disciples on the road to Emmaus, as Caleb taught us last week, he told them about how all of the scriptures, the Old Testament, all the prophets, and all the writers of the Old Testament pointed to Jesus and pointed to him. Everything was about him. Well, here's what that means or what he's doing as he does that. He's teaching them and he's reminding us all that everything centers around God establishing his kingdom. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's all about Jesus, but because it's all about Jesus, it's all about the kingdom of God. This new kingdom. Psalm 103 verse 19 says this, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. So a quick history lesson. God creates, of course, creates man and all the heavens and the earth, and we have this earth, and then he comes to Abraham, and he promises Abraham that he's going to make him the father of what? A nation. He's going to be the father of a nation. He makes this covenant with Abraham, and God establishes for himself a people, 
And these people are described as a nation, the nation of Israel, this kingdom. And God rules over the kingdom of Israel. He is their king. He is their God and their king and rules over them. Well, Unfortunately, because of the sinfulness of man, we would probably have done the same thing. They began to see how all these other kingdoms of the earth have human kings, and they want to have a king that would fight for them. And so they begin to ask God, would you give us a king so we could be like the other nations? God warns them, real bad idea. They're not going to treat you too well. It's going to not go well for you. But they keep asking, and so God relents and says, okay, I'll give you a king. I'll teach you. You'll learn the hard way. And so he gives them a king, gives them many kings. Most of them are all bad, as we heard last week. These are bad kings. They don't rule well. And ultimately what happens is the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of God that was established and called Israel, falls. These vice regents are evil. They're weak. Under the kingship of God, they don't lead well. And the kingdom falls And Israel is scattered and taken into captivity. And so it would seem at that time in history, if we lived in that time in history, we we might say to ourselves, the kingdom of God is no more. There was a kingdom. It was called Israel. He ruled over it. Earthly kings came in, destroyed it. Now it's no more. But look at what Daniel, the prophet says in chapter two, verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the kings, the God of heaven, excuse me, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to other people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end and it shall stand forever. So even in the midst where it seems like all is hopeless and the kingdom of God is no more, the prophets begin telling, no, there is a kingdom of God. It still is there and he will bring it to bear. Fast forward all throughout many, many years of history. It's brought near and the kingdom sort of comes back to life when Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus brings the kingdom of God near to us. And do you know what the very first public words of Jesus are? If you've been around our church for very long, you probably know this because I talk about it all the time. Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, where Jesus comes on the scene and the very first thing that he says in his public ministry, the kingdom is at hand, repent and believe. That's the first thing that Jesus says. We should take note, by the way, as I've heard one pastor say, when Jesus speaks, one, we should take note. When Jesus says, this is the very first thing I'm going to say to you, it matters. And Jesus says that the kingdom is at hand. And in verse 14, he says, this is the gospel. The gospel is that the kingdom of God is real and is here and he has brought it near to us. The kingdom that Jesus brought near would ultimately, though, be released in power, no longer to ever be destroyed, no longer to ever be threatened again when Jesus died. He died, he went to the cross, he rose again, and Mark 9 testifies that that is when the kingdom of God would go in power through his death. And so, this is what all of our Bible is about And the apostles, they're confused in this moment here when we come back to Acts. They're not understanding what God is doing. This is why they ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Is this what's gonna happen? You died. First of all, they thought, okay, Messiah came. What were they expecting? The kingdom of God to be, you know, overthrow Rome, 
Get rid of all of the oppressors, all those sorts of things. You're going to set your nation up again. No, then he dies. Well, that didn't work. Okay, now what are we supposed to do? What's he up to now? He comes back to life. He comes and teaches them about the kingdom. And he says to them, and they ask, is this now the time that you're going to establish your kingdom? No, that is not what I'm here to do. There's still work yet to be done, Jesus says in his response. This is what the apostles are living out in the book of Acts. This is what we are now living out. God's powerful work of continuing to build his kingdom. A kingdom that as Psalm 103 says, will rule over all. A kingdom that Daniel prophesied about in chapter two, that it will stand forever. That kingdom is what the book of Acts is all about. Jesus building that kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples thought that Israel would be restored to some sort of independence maybe, or they would have, be freed of all of the oppression. They didn't quite understand, and that's why they asked Jesus this. By the way, this is the error of Christian nationalism, that the kingdom of God would be bound to any earthly kingdom. In Daniel 2, Psalm 103, and all throughout Scripture, the Bible is clear that the kingdom of God is not limited or bound to any nation, but it rules and is supreme over all. Our citizenship as people of God is first as citizens of the eternal kingdom of God. This is hopeful and good news. This tells us that while we see all of the frustration and the challenges, just like the disciples, the oppression that they were experiencing and even some of the persecution that they experienced that was very real, they knew they could have confidence that they were citizens of a kingdom that would not ever end. And that citizenship would secure their hope in their life forever. And so Jesus teaches them, as he says there in verse three, and again and again, as he answers them in verses six through eight, about this kingdom. Jesus tells them as he answers their question in verse six, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Here's what he says in verse seven. You don't need to worry about that. It's not for you to know, he says, the hour or the time or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He essentially says to them, you let God the Father worry about what he's gonna do with Israel. And we see that later in scripture. What you need to know, here's what you do need to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Jesus says, you don't need to worry about Israel the kingdom of God is at hand. You are living in it. You are citizens of that kingdom and you will go out and be my witnesses. Here's what this means for us, brothers and sisters. The kingdom of God is here. Again, we are living in the kingdom. They were living in it and we today are living in it. But not just living in it as citizens of that kingdom, not somewhat sort of just uh, peasants within the kingdom of God. Do you know what the gospel teaches us and tells us about our citizenship as citizens of the kingdom? We are co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs. That is not co-heirs. When we hear co-heirs, sometimes we, I don't know if you think this way, but I, sometimes my mind goes to the word inheritance, that we might be co-heirs. We receive this inheritance or this. No, a co-heir means that we are going to rule with Christ the kingdom of God. We are citizens and co-heirs of this inheritance that we have. 
coming. And this is the work that we get to do, to be a part of even today. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we have been welcomed in as citizens of this kingdom. Our sins have been redeemed. And God has initiated his kingdom in our own lives and invited us into the work of building the kingdom even today. Now you're saying to yourself, well, that sounds great, but how are we supposed to do that? The disciples themselves, again, they're more worried about Israel. And he says, no, 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 no. You let the father worry about Israel. Here's what you need to be worried about. You will be my witnesses. Well, how are we gonna be witnesses? What is, what's gonna, you're, you're leaving us, Jesus. What are we supposed to do? Well, this is where the gift of the Holy Spirit comes. Jesus passes the baton. Luke tells us, the story of Jesus's earthly ministry and his gospel. And he closes that out in those first few verses here in the book of Acts. And verse four begins to tell us of the apostles' ministry as they are called. Notice he says that as Jesus was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which was the Holy Spirit, to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And then they would go. And so Jesus passes the baton from himself to the Holy Spirit who would come and mobilize them. And they would be baptized, it says, in the Spirit. Now that baptized in the Spirit can be a confusing term. You may be thinking to yourself, oh, what does that even mean? Well, as Jesus describes it there, when he spoke to them, he says that you had heard that John had baptized with water. Jesus had literally been baptized in water. We who are citizens of that kingdom of God, we are baptized in water by immersion as we profess our faith in Christ and his death on the cross and his resurrection giving us life. But there he says, no, you're going to now be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and the Holy Spirit is going to propel you to do this work. This is why he says in verse eight, if we skip, and I know I'm back and forth here, but Jesus is speaking in two places here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. They are going to do the work of building the kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what had happened. The apostles, back up. In Luke's gospel, Jesus is the only one who is ever filled with the Holy Spirit. It's only Jesus. If you go back and read Luke's gospel, you read the other three gospels as well, the Holy Spirit is, Jesus is the one who has the Holy Spirit. It descends on him like a dove at his baptism and the Holy Spirit fills him and propels him forward. And so in that moment, the apostles, they encountered the Holy Spirit all throughout Jesus's earthly ministry. They had encountered, any encounter that they had with the Holy Spirit was through Jesus. If they had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it was because Jesus was with them and through Jesus. But now it's going to flip. Now the apostles would encounter Jesus and they would be used by Jesus and do work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what would propel them and the Holy Spirit is what still is at work in our lives today. The scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals our need reveals our depravity, reveals our sinfulness to us. If you think about your own testimony, yeah, I believe if you just think back to when you began to have a real relationship with Christ and you began to understand what that meant, you can think back to a time where you began to feel some conviction, when you began to maybe read your Bible and you never could read it before and it never made sense and it was like kind of frustrating to try and read it. And then began as you, the Holy Spirit filled you and, and taught you, you were able to see the scriptures come alive. You're able to deal and you understood that and you had that conviction, you knew where to take it. That's all 
all the work of the Holy Spirit drawing us into God, drawing us into relationship with Christ. And so the Holy Spirit fills us when we put our faith in Jesus. And as the Holy Spirit fills us, we are then invited into this kingdom-building work. Again, every time it talks about what Jesus was doing, from Mark 1 all the way here to the book of Acts, Jesus is talking about building his kingdom. When we talk about sharing the gospel, when we talk about being witnesses and testifying and telling others about what Jesus is doing, what we are literally doing in that moment is building his kingdom. The Holy Spirit is at work in us building the kingdom. And this is where it gets really exciting. Look again closely at verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And this is the first time that's gonna happen. It's pointing to Pentecost, which we'll get to here in a couple weeks. But when the Spirit comes upon you, and notice what Jesus says to the disciples, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will, not I'd like you to, not I'm kind of thinking about using you a little bit here and there. Not maybe if things kind of work out in just the perfect sort of situation, then maybe you'll get to be a witness. No, he tells the disciples, you will be my witnesses. You will be my testimony to the world that the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what he's telling the disciples. If you've heard this text taught before, it's, it's not unlikely that there's been some focus on those, those locations that Jesus mentions here. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And there is some, something that we can learn from that, that Jesus was saying that these disciples, these very disciples would be his witnesses. They would testify to the work of Jesus, go out building his kingdom in all of these places. And there is those circles. You can know that Jerusalem was the closest in. That's where they were staying now. And then that you get a little further out is Judea, and then Samaria is further into the ends of the earth. But do you want to know why Jesus, although that is true, those logistical things are true about what Jesus said there, do you want to know why he says it the way he says it here? It all comes back to the kingdom. They ask the question, Jesus, is it now time for you to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to set us apart again as your people and throw off everyone else? The disciples were so selfish, just like you and I, all they could worry about was their people. Is this now the time that we will be freed from all this oppression? Jesus says, no. In fact, you are going to go to every one of these nations and every nation around the world to declare that my kingdom is at hand. It's not about Jerusalem. It's not about Judea. It's not about Samaria. It's not about even the ends of the earth. It is that the kingdom of God will reach every place on this planet. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Do you know where Jesus said those words? I've stood in the place where he says those words. It's called Caesarea Philippi. And in Caesarea Philippi, there is a place that was sometimes referred to known as the gates of hell. And do you wanna know why it was called the gates of hell? Because there was a place, a pit, where babies were sacrificed to pagan gods. And Jesus standing in Caesarea Philippi is as if he comes, he's speaking to his disciples and he's declaring to them, I will build my church, my kingdom is at hand and not even this great evil that you see happening behind me, not even the depravity of all that is going on in the world, nothing will stop me from building my kingdom. And here, 
He tells his disciples, you will be my witnesses and my kingdom will have no end ever, 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 ever. It will reach the ends of the earth and you will be the ones that go and tell about my work and tell about my power and tell about what I have done in your lives. And guess what, church? They did it. And that's the reason if you call yourself by the name of Christ today, is because there were people before you that were faithful and obedient to testify to what Jesus had done. You heard those stories from someone. Somebody's gonna hear it from you. This is why, as we close, look at the end of this section, picking up in verse 10. And when he, excuse me, in verse nine, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, they're looking up into heaven. Behold, two men stood by them, came by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go. They promise that this Jesus, yes, he's gone, but he's gonna come in the same way. Go and be my witnesses to the ends of the earth with confidence that yes, while he is departed from you, his kingdom will not be thwarted. We sang three songs at the beginning because I wanna close our time together in prayer. I wanna spend just a few moments in prayer as we prepare to dismiss. Here's what I want us to pray for. If you just bow your heads, I want you to first thank God. If you know Jesus today, thank God for the witnesses that testified to you, that told you of who Jesus is, that told you of his kingdom. Thank God for the privilege of being a citizen of his kingdom and thank him for the opportunity that he's given each and every one of us to be builders of that kingdom. And now I want you to just picture, picture a neighbor, a family member, a coworker, a friend. I want you to ask God to give you the courage, the strength, the clarity, and the opportunity to go and testify to what Jesus has done in your life to that friend. Lord Jesus, I worship you this morning for the gift of being called a son of the most high God.
I can only say that with confidence because of what you have done for me. And I know my brothers and sisters gather this morning, they as well. We worship you together with thanksgiving for the salvation that you have brought to us, for welcoming us as citizens of your kingdom, co-heirs with you. What an amazing thought. Thank you for the invitation that comes with that to be about the work of building your kingdom. Again, thank you for inviting us in to be your witnesses, to see you building your kingdom. Thank you for what we have seen in just nine short years in the life of this church and for others just in the last few weeks, perhaps. I don't know, whatever time they've been around, we have seen you at work. You have used us. You've been at work in and through this body and we just give you glory and thanks for using us to build your kingdom. And we pray as we just have each and every one of us has someone in our lives that needs the hope that only you can bring, Jesus. And so as we go from this place as kingdom builders, would you help us? Holy Spirit, you are with us, you promise. Help us as we have conversations, even today, with friends, family members, co-workers throughout this week, as we testify to the goodness of Jesus. We give you glory, Jesus. We want to do that with our lives. Help us, we pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world.